What's up, everybody? It's Pastor James. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study once again. And today we are going to start chapter 6 of Proverbs, and we should make it through at least half of the chapter. Today, Solomon is changing gears a little bit and focusing on kind of a newer topic. Uh, The past few weeks, we have looked at his warnings of the immoral woman and really immorality altogether. But today, we're uh, going to read about some new warnings pertaining to daily life. Um, Still dealing uh, with a certain aspect of relationships in this. You know, we talked at the beginning that um, a lot of Proverbs is going to deal with relationships. Um, and how to how to navigate that in life for his son. So um, these are some things that we can easily be sucked into. So let's read uh, Proverbs chapter six verses one through five together, and we'll talk about those first five verses. My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt, or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said. Follow my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride and go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Okay, now making the commitment... To take on the debts of a friend, and especially a stranger, is a foolish act. And as we talk about Proverbs, you know, the whole point of Proverbs is wisdom. And so, one of the most foolish things we could do is take on the debts of another person because we're really at their mercy. And the thought of doing it with a stranger, to me, is kind of ridiculous. I can't imagine going with a stranger that I don't know and agreeing to pay their debts. And maybe there's some people who get guilted into stuff, and they feel bad, and they want to help, and so they do things for people that they may not necessarily know or trust. But that's pretty crazy. However, I do have friends and and people in my life that um, I would be tempted to um, sign my name on behalf of them um, because... I love those people, and I want to help them, and, you know, I I want them to do well in life and and succeed, and so I can understand the the temptation in that and desire, but there's a reason why Solomon is warning against this. Now, many of friendships have ended over disagreements in money, over one not paying their equal share, over leaving a friend hanging out to dry, over business ventures. Whether it's uh, a debt or a a business partnership uh, dwindling and dissolving or or bringing money into the mix is just not a wise choice as uh, a lot of friends do and a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships have ended over this. So very few people agree on how money should be viewed, treated, and handled and dealt with. Now, Finances are usually a difficult topic, even for married couples. Like when you think about the union of a, of a man and a woman, their decision to do life together. And most of those people can't agree. When, when Hannah and I, Hannah's my wife, when Hannah and I do premarital counseling with couples before I marry them, money is usually the uh, issue that we spend the most time talking about because it's needed. Uh, these two people, while they love each other and they may have a lot in common, most of the time they come from very different homes. 
their backgrounds are very different. Their socioeconomic state uh, from one family to the other is very different. Um, and so a lot of times, even people who love each other very much disagree on how money should be handled, how it should be used, how it should be saved, how it should be spent. And we spend a lot of time talking on that. And I would dare to say that even uh, putting up security for a family member could be very dangerous. So it's not just about um, friends and strangers, but even like thinking about family members and understanding the dangers in it and how this is not wise. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of these things later on. But there's, you know, if you go into a venture where you're, you're putting up security for a family member's debt you know it's at least you come from the same household at least you have a lifelong knowledge of that person at least you potentially have kind of the same mindset of money as you've been raised by the same uh you know family members that are kin and should have a a a decently common understanding of how money should be handled so there's probably a little better understanding a, a little long uh a lot longer longevity of trusting one another and having that relationship, but it's still dangerous, and we'll talk about that a little more later on. It's a very risky thing to do, and Solomon strongly advises against this. Now, Solomon even compares this to a trap that we have set for ourselves. So if we agree to secure the debts of another person, we have set a trap for ourselves by our own words. And there's great truth in what Solomon's saying. When you sign your name to a contract, you have entangled yourself to the mercy of the individual that you are offering security for. Now, you may love them, you may trust them, you may know them very well, but understand that when you sign your name to it, you are bound by law, and now you are at their mercy. And this is what Solomon's warning against. They have leverage over you. You are no longer your own person. And uh, (coughs) Solomon actually talks about that later on when he talks about just personal debt. So if you have debt, he talks about how the borrower is slave to the lender. If there is money owed, if there is a debt, we are no longer free to function on our own. We now have an obligation to someone else. If you sign for someone's debt, you are now under the obligation and the leverage of the person that you have uh, secured their debt for. And then you're under the obligation of the person that they have the debt to. So you're technically underneath two people's um, mercy at this point if you do this. And they have leverage over you. And this is why in verse 3 Solomon says to swallow your pride. Go and beg to take your name off. Don't even let it go to the point where something goes wrong. But right now, admit your foolishness, go and beg to have your name removed, and yes, it may harm the friendship. Yes, it may make the relationship tense. But Solomon is saying, this is worth that chance to have your name removed. The friendship probably wasn't that great anyways because it's in my experience that the best of friends that you have They don't come asking you for help. They come offering you help. Being in a situation where you are having to guarantee someone's debt is not a situation that true friends should put you in. It's not something that people should come and ask you for. 
typically people are very desperate when they come asking for help because let's just be honest we're we're kind of prideful most of the time and we don't like to admit that we're struggling and that we have a need so the fact that someone's even coming and asking for you to secure a debt for them or help them is uh they they're probably pretty desperate and that's something to be aware of now if you think about solomon's sons that he's writing this to and he's trying to give them the best advice you can imagine that the amount of wealth that his sons had access to would be pretty significant. And there's a good chance that many of their acquaintances were probably superficial at best because most people are drawn to relationships that they can benefit from. And that's just truth. We, As a mature adult, I can look back and I can say a lot of the times in past relationships, I was drawn to people that I felt like... Um, you know, that I enjoyed being around them, so I gained that. Uh, they had uh, something to offer to give me that I desired, and so I wanted to be around them for whatever reason. And typically it's mutual. Um, you know, we have something to offer them as well, and that's what a mutual friendship is based off of. But for a prince or a king or someone who's extremely wealthy, there's a lot of people who will not necessarily have anything to offer you, but will be seeking your attention and seeking your friendships in order of or based off of the potential of what they can get from you. And Solomon's probably warning his sons of that as they are wealthy, as they are powerful, and they're probably surrounded by people who don't truly love or care about them. Um, they're just around them because of who they are and the positions they hold. So, we as people need to be aware that a lot of humans are drawn to relationships that offer benefits. And uh, sometimes people that we think are our friends or, or love us don't truly love us and they aren't truly our friends. But friendships do exist and they are rare and that's why they should be cherished and guarded. And I think a lot of times... Uh, keeping money out of friendships is a wise thing if you truly love one another and you want to maintain that as to not uh, potentially damage the relationship. So Solomon compares this situation of securing another friend's debt or someone's debt as a life or death situation. That That's the analogy that he gives. And he urges his sons to go now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't rest. This is an urgent matter, and you need to free yourself from it before it costs you your life. And so, you know, as you secure someone else's debts, one of the things we talked about in Bible study last night is that debt seems to be something that uh, is a repetitive thing in people's lives. So if they have debt, they probably have multiple debts. And if they need securing of, of a debt, there's probably some distrust as to why they can't get it on their own. And so you never know how much uh, debt someone has. And so you have to be really careful to make sure you have all the information that you have read the paperwork clearly. And, um, you know, be very weary of who you bind yourself with. Now, I want to play the other side of the coin real quick because we're talking about securing a debt for a friend or a, a stranger. 
And there's a big difference between securing a debt, saying that you will be responsible for paying another person's debt, because you don't know exactly how much someone can run a debt up to. Like, sometimes in some situations, that debt can grow. Now, if you have a child or a grandchild or a, a really close family member that you trust and that you love, and let's say, for example, they need a home or they need to purchase a piece of land to build on or they need a car, um, sometimes as family, we will need to go and sign with them and kind of take on the responsibility of that debt and those payments. But in that, I, I just want to challenge you to understand that that is not exactly what Solomon is talking about. It's a lot different because there's a set amount of debt. It's not like they go buy a $20,000 car and then the debt grows to forty dollars and $50,000. They can keep on uh, making that debt go up or a home or land or anything like that. It's a set amount. If uh, your loved one can't make the payment, now you're responsible for making the payment and you can judge as to whether or not you are financially able to make that payment. And if you're not able to do it, then you shouldn't sign your name. Because if they fault on it, or if they default on the payment, and then it now it's deferred to you, and you default on it, now you're in trouble. And so you are supposed to be the one secured. So know whether or not you can afford it. Know whether or not you can uh, are able to do it. Remember that the New Testament calls us to be generous. It calls us to lend money to others without interest. And uh, we should always be eager to help others. But at the same time, you cannot put yourself in a situation where everything in life can be taken from you. And now you are left uh, penniless, homeless, and your life is destroyed because of a decision you made. And there are horror stories where that happens. And it happens more regularly than we would like to admit because typically it is friends and family members and loved ones that take advantage of others and steal from others more than strangers do. So we uh, have to be aware of that. And so we're called to help one another within our means. But I do want to remind you, don't overstretch yourself. <coughs> you are called to serve but if you put yourself in a situation where now you are homeless and you are broke now you need to be given to and as Christians I believe that as a believer one of the greatest callings of, of our life is to give to others to minister to others so we have to make sure that we're in a situation that we can give and serve others and not put ourselves in situations where now others have to give and serve us because there are times where we need that as believers where we need to be given to but for the most part we should be serving and giving to others and so signing yourself to another's debt is is can be a very dangerous thing Solomon warns against it he urges his sons to stay away and if you've already made the mistake to do it humble yourself and go and beg and get out of this as fast as you can okay let's move on to verses 6 to 11 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? 
a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. All right, so, you know, most of us have been tempted with the opportunity to be lazy. And one thing I've noticed over the years is that laziness gives birth to laziness. So, like, the more you sleep, the more you want to sleep. The more you rest or watch TV or scroll on social media or whatever it is that you do, the more that you're going to want to do it. We get accustomed to our ways of life, and that's what we desire to do. And the more we do it, the more we want to do it. If you exercise and run, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And so we're just kind of built as as the way that God has designed us that we feed off of things and that we kind of are creatures of habit and addictions, for lack of better terms. What we do the majority of the time is what we desire to do. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprising that Solomon's sons had access to wealth and the necessity of daily life with little to no work. Like, they had access to whatever, and they probably didn't have to work very much. So I'm sure... Many of them would have struggled with finding something productive to do rather than just partaking in leisurely activities and laying around and sleeping half the day. And Solomon points out to them that, hey, you need to work. You need to be productive. And he uses this analogy of the ants, which I, which I think is really cool because Solomon's a king. He's been a king for a long time. He has a lot of responsibilities, and yet he is familiar enough with the way that ants work that they work really hard. They don't have anyone driving them. Like They have a queen, but the queen is used only for breeding. She doesn't command them or make them work, but the worker ants go out and get everything that they need in order to survive the entire winter. So they're preparing, they're storing up, they're saving. And Solomon has understood that even though he has this crazy amount of wealth that is beyond our understanding it comes from work and even if he was lazy and he slept all the time and didn't manage what was going on that poverty would pounce on him as well and so he's warning his sons against this to to challenge them to pull their weight to produce what they need as an individual and uh, I think it's pretty apparent that as Solomon is talking about all these things, he's probably talking about it for a reason. You know, when you, you read the New Testament and you read the epistles, um, the authors were writing to churches about issues that the churches were struggling with. That That's why we have so much writings about how uh, dysfunction and, uh, you know, divisiveness and sin and how all these things should be addressed inside the church because that's what they were struggling with so it's pretty fair to say that Solomon is writing about things that his sons are struggling with and he's trying to convince them to uh to correct what's going on in their life so he wants his sons to understand that if they're lazy and if they sleep poverty is going to pounce on them like a bandit and this shouldn't be a surprise you know, even in our culture today, um, you know, when you look at wealth, wealth is very, uh, it's a very fascinating thing, but it's also kind of a, a curse in some ways. And so there's a 20-year study that was done that revealed that during that 20 years of the millionaires 
that they studied 70% of those families lost their wealth. They went from being millionaires to having basically just normal income like any other individual within the first generation. So let's just say mama and daddy did well. They became millionaires. They die. The kids inherit it. And before the grandkids can inherit it, the millions of dollars are gone. They lose it within the first generation. Now, <clears throat> that's 7 out of 10. That's 70%. The study also showed that 90% of families lose it by the third generation. 9 out of 10. So there's a 90% chance that when mama and daddy earn millions and they do well, that 70% chance their kids are going to lose it. And then by the time their grandkids get it, there's a 90% chance that all the money they worked for and all the wealth they worked for will be gone. And Solomon understands that even as a wealthy person, that if his sons are lazy and they don't change the way that they're living and, and work hard and avoid immoral women and avoid these relationships where people are asking them to secure debts, that Chances are, by the time uh, their kids are old enough to inherit anything, it'll all be gone. And that's what he's trying to communicate to them. All right, let's read verses 12 through 15, and we'll finish up for today. It says, What are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars, signaling their deceit with a wink of an eye, a nudge of the foot, or a wiggle of the fingers. Their perverted hearts plot evil, and they constantly stir up trouble. But they will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. So, <clears throat> we talked about this as we started the book of Proverbs. I said it a while ago. But a lot of the advice on Proverbs is on relationships. And we see that in the first section of this chapter, it deals with co-signing a debt with a friend. And they're just things that we as people need to know as we deal with other people because something in us wants to give to others and we want to give them the benefit of the doubt and be nice to others and help them. But for people who don't feel that way, chances are they have already been burned and have learned that other people can't, can really burn us and we have to be careful who we trust. But Solomon, he, he talks about not securing this debt and he talks about his sons not being lazy. Well, now he's talking about, you know, being able to identify um, worthless and wicked people. And we have to be very careful in our lives that we don't surround ourselves with people who are worthless. And, yeah, while part of being a good friend is giving to them and serving others, the, the main point of a friendship is that it's reciprocating, like... You give to them, but they give back to you. It's an it's a equal friendship. And that's what true, valuable friendship is. You're constantly giving to one another. It's like marriage, in a way. You're giving to one another. And so, you can't pair yourself up with someone who's worthless because you will just constantly be given to them. And they'll never give anything to you. And, and that's a waste of time. And it's a disservice to you as an individual. It's a disservice to you spiritually. And so you need to be able to identify wicked people who only want to basically suck the life from you, whether it's financially, spiritually, emotionally. you got to be careful of those people and avoid them. 
And uh, there are things that we as people need to know. And um, Solomon talks about a worthless person. And we need to realize that while God may love everyone and Jesus died for everyone, it doesn't mean that every person is worth something. And that's a hard truth. I'll say that again. Just because God died for everyone and God loves everyone does not mean that everyone is worth something. And make no mistake about it. If an individual refuses to turn to Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, God is going to destroy that person with eternal damnation. They are going to go to hell and they will be denied of his presence for all of eternity. We believe that. That's scriptural. So while he loves them and he died for them, if they refuse to turn to Christ, they are inherently worthless and as a result will be destroyed. That's what we do with worthless things. We throw them away. We recycle worthless things. We throw it away. It's taken off. It's buried. It's burned. It's done away with. And so we have to acknowledge the fact that while Every person in the world was worth dying for in the eyes of Christ. Unless they turn to Christ, they are worthless. If I had not gotten saved and turned to Jesus, I'm worthless. In fact, without Jesus, I'm still worthless. It's not that I'm worth anything, but Jesus' blood has covered me and he claims me as his own. That's the only reason I'm worth anything. And so we need to understand that in our lives, while we may be called to minister to people who don't belong to Christ yet, we cannot allow them in our lives and we cannot allow them access to ourselves to dictate directions and um, habits and things like that. So Solomon is warning his sons against these worthless and wicked people. How do you identify them? They're liars. They constantly lie. And they think that it's funny. And with a wink of the eye, a nudge of the foot, a wiggle of the fingers, they're constantly stirring up trouble and plotting evil. And so you need to be able to identify people like that. And people, they let you know who they are. Especially evil people. They don't try to hide it. They don't try to hide that they are not of the Lord. That they don't serve God. Now there are some people who will talk a big game and they'll claim to belong to the Lord with words. But if you watch them, if you watch their actions, their attitudes, um, their mannerisms, you can see who they truly are and who they belong to. Just sit back and watch them for a little while. People let you know who they are. And we have to be weary of uh, those who are dishonest and especially the ones who try to harm and take advantage of other people. So, as we finish up today, this is a warning for us to avoid uh, these people that Solomon are talking about. People who are asking us to secure their debts. Avoiding lazy people. Avoiding worthless, uh, wicked people. Like, these are all dealing with a personal aspect of us, but also a uh, relational aspect with other people. And So, Solomon's encouraging his sons to to know this, to be aware of it. And uh, (coughs) you have to realize that you may be the friend asking for someone to co-sign for you. Or maybe you're the one that, that lies and causes deceit. And maybe 
You need to uh, acknowledge that conviction in your heart and repent of that and do something about it. Or you might be the friend that you have someone asking you to secure their debt. You have someone around you who's wicked and who is trying to lead you astray. And whichever you may be today, just know that Christ loves you. Christ died for you. There's forgiveness available to you. And there's forgiveness available to the person who may be trying to take advantage of you in this moment. But if they don't, if they or you don't call on the name of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sin and repent and turn from those things, then we are worthless. And it says... <clears throat> That they will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant, beyond hope of all healing. God may let people get away with it for a little while in order to give them time to repent because he's merciful. But eventually, God will hold us all accountable and there will be a day where he calls us to account and we'll have to pay for what we do. So if we don't accept the blood of Jesus Christ as payment for it, We'll have to pay for it with our very life and our very soul. And that's what Solomon's talking about today. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this beautiful day, for this time together. I pray that you would speak into our hearts and our minds and you would reveal truth to us. Help us to accept your word as truth. Help us to apply it to our lives and God, I pray that in our relationships that we would be wise, who we grant access to our life, who we um, grant access to our finances and who we help and who we uh, love and give to. Lord, that we would just not do it freely, but we're very careful with that and give it to people who you've called us to. Um, and so I pray that we would be in tune with you, with your will and your ways. We love you today. We thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We're so thankful you're a part of the Graham Chapel family. And as always, you can catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast, but we would love to see you in person. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.